and welcome to this Cumberland Lodge podcast on the topic of climate futures, youth perspectives. My name is Anna Jungblut and I'm a second year scholar at Cumberland Lodge, the educational charity that tackles social division through dialogue and debate based in Windsor Grade Park. This week, Cumberland Lodge has been running a virtual conference exploring young people's perspectives on the future of our planet. The event is bringing together young people from a broad spectrum of organizations and schools, including Rally International, CAFOD, YouThink Scotland, and the UK Schools Eco Network, for discussions ahead of the 2021 Pre-COP26 in Milan and the 2021 UN Climate Change Conference in Glasgow, COP26. Today, we are discussing the second session of the conference on green businesses and careers. My PhD research focuses on studying and improving solar cells to aid in the green energy transition. As someone working on the research and development side, it has been fascinating to hear about all the different career paths available that work towards a more sustainable future. I'm delighted to be joined by two guests to discuss some of the key takeaways. Louise Stevens is the former head of Circular Economy at Innocent Drinks and co-founder and director at Stevens.Earth Sustainability Consultancy. And James Wood is one of the student participants in the conference. Thank you both for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Um, a question to both of you. What motivated you to get involved in the Climate Futures Youth Perspectives Conference? Well, personally, well, I, I am part of a youth voice group locally called the Man's Youth Forum. And uh, there's just a group of individuals in the Man's area who kind of come together and trying to fight for youth voice and all that stuff. And because climate change is at the heart of so many young people, it is a large focus of what we do and trying to raise awareness of that. So um, someone in the group, uh, the, the group leader, actually found out about it for whatever I'm, I'm not sure how they figured it out but uh and sent it around and thought oh wow it's awesome because I've really been part of climate activism for a couple of years now um I kind of got into it three years ago ish so yeah it, it's um it's just a really awesome opportunity and I think another thing is I, I live quite rurally um and it's quite low population density so you don't actually see maybe a lot of climate activists and stuff like that. Um, there's a couple at my school. We went to the marches in, in Edinburgh and Glasgow, and that was incredible to see. But uh, it was just really nice to kind of converse and listen to people in the movement because uh, I'm not super connected to it because I live quite rurally. So, yeah. Um, for me, there's a couple of reasons. I, I really love the mission of Cumberland Lodge, this sort of notion of nurturing um, future leaders and change makers. You know, it kind of had me at hello, really, with that. Um, but then that leads into the second reason. Um, it's because climate change, it, it's, it's all of our problem. Everyone who's alive today has to get involved in fixing it, but it's the next generations, it's the, the young people who are the leaders that are going to take us into the future and out the other side of this giant issue. So it's the right cohort to be nurturing, if you ask me. Yeah. Thank you. Louise, in the session yesterday, you spoke about building a career in sustainability. What advice would you give to young people wanting to embark on a green career? So I think there are lots of ways of building a green career now. When I started my green career, um, it was mandatory to have a related master's degree. I think things have moved on. I think we're in a situation where we have a climate emergency and actually we need as many people involved as possible. 
So I guess from my experience, what I know to be true is that if you are looking for a career start now, if you could join a business that demonstrates it has a strong purpose and strong values to guide its path, that's the sort of business that's likely to be open to making sustainable choices at all the right moments. And then the second piece of advice is if you don't find yourself in a situation where you're employed by a purpose-led business, you can be the person that starts to agitate for that change, a, a shift in a business outlook to thinking about its impacts can happen at any moment. Mm. So why not you? Yeah, and I think, I'm not sure if it was you who said this or someone else at the conference, but uh, it, and it kind of stuck with me afterwards was that uh, corporations aren't these kind of faceless entities that are made up of people. And uh, it's a weird thing to say, but it hadn't really dawned on me if that makes sense. Because you see a company, you're like, oh, that's just, you know, company, but there are people inside them and yeah. people aren't immune to kind of this groundswell of energy and passion for the climate movement. So I think uh, that really stuck with me personally. Um, yeah, and I've seen that firsthand at Innocent. There's 600 people that work there and every single one mm. of them cares about sustainability. And every yeah. single one of them has some kind of a role to play in moving Innocent's vision forward. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a really great insight. Thank you. James, following up on the point that you just made, can you summarize what the biggest takeaways were for you mm. from the conference so far? Yeah, uh, sorry, I kind of jumped the gun on that one. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, obviously, big one was corporations are made up of people. And it's a very important thing we need to understand is that they're made up of people and that people are affected by this. Um, another thing I took away is that every sector and every segment of our economy can, should and needs to be green. And I think we're in that process of transitioning to a green economy and I think it, it's opened my eyes a little bit as well when we went away and we did a Q&A session and we kind of talked about all the different things and some of the things I'd never thought about before but if you actually just sit down and think it's quite easy to come up with loads of different ways we can make things easier for it to be green and stuff like that and the last final thing is that environmental business and kind of humanitarian business come hand in hand, hand in hand. Uh, and that you can't really, you can have a green economy, but I'm just thinking at what cost, you know, because you can have a green economy, but it's going to be so much more robust and so much more better. Like we have an opportunity because the, the facts are that we, we only have this amount of time. So if we're going to restructure our entire economy, why don't we restructure it so that it can help people and it isn't the sort of still have has these massive chasms and problems that it does at the moment. So yeah, those are the main things. Thank you. That sounds really great. Um, Louise, as someone who has worked with Innocent quite from an early stage of the company. What do you see as the main differences on the quote-unquote sustainability journey of startups versus bigger companies? And what do you think the main incentives could be for a company to become greener? So I'm really lucky that I joined Innocent when it was a startup and then saw it grow. And then some of the clients that I'm working with now are back in that startup phase. And there's something really magical about the fact that in a startup phase, everything's an is an opportunity everything is possible you're not stuck in any one way so actually the startups are in an amazing position to be able to pivot at any moment and make sure that they're considering sustainability and how they build their business moving forward so every startup has that 
potential and to do it without it being too arduous or disruptive. So that's their imperative. They can take that 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 step now and start doing that thinking and get the guidance they need if if they do. For the bigger companies, the, the thing that's exciting there is once they're bigger, there's more budget and more resource and more buying power because at the end of the day so much of this boils down to buying power if you can agitate the people that are supplying you and say I'm only going to buy these mangoes if you can prove to me you've grown them sustainably or whatever it is Mm. that's how the change starts to really really accelerate so that's what's exciting for the bigger companies they've got that scale to be able to push bigger change um, and yeah, probably the budget to be able to have an in-house team of sustainability experts like like I used to be. And then in terms of the incentive to do that, well, look, we're in a different we're in a different era now than you know when I joined Innocent in two thousand and one. They were taking sustainable choices because it was the right thing to do. It was not because their their consumers were asking for it at all and nor did they really until very recently and what we've seen over the last couple of years is a massive shift and now actually consumers are demanding that brands and any business whatever service or product they're making they're demanding that it's done the right way by people the right way by the planet and so the business opportunities becoming quite plain if you want your business to succeed and thrive and grow you've got to take the sustainable choices. Thank you. I'm going to go a little bit off script here because I have a new, another question that came to my mind. So for both of you, I'm curious where you see the main responsibilities lying. Should it be with customers demanding more sustainable choices or should it be with companies just choosing to do the right thing and offering nothing but sustainable choices? My answer to that is absolutely everybody. There's no one sector that's going to fix this. The issues we face are too great and too interrelated. And we have, you know, we live in an age where we've got a completely global economy, um, Mm. especially if you look at the movement of, of goods and services. And each of those sectors has a different responsibility. The the consumers at the end, they have now got an opportunity and, and a responsibility to ask and demand that they get the best possible products but businesses also have the responsibility to make those products and then governments have the right and the responsibility to legislate for those decisions so it it, it feeds up the chain and the fact is this is there's some fairly big shifts have got to happen and actually we've all got to be in it together Mm, yeah I, I would totally agree with that and I think as I said before it's got to be every sector of the economy, but it's also got to be consumers. We have the most educated consumers in maybe the history of the world. Mm. You know, everyone can Google and find out and there's amazing journalism happening, exposing all these different things. But at the same time, because we're so interconnected and we've got this access to information, it is quite easy for companies to sometimes reach a point and be like, yay, we did it, uh, and all that stuff. I'm not sure. It was talked about uh, yesterday how prevalent the idea of greenwashing is. And for those of you who don't know, greenwashing is when a company pretends to be more sustainable than it is or does something vaguely sustainable and is like, look at us, we're an amazing company. The youths come come buy our products. Some people are saying it's a massive problem. Other people are saying it wasn't really. I think, like most things, it's somewhere in between. I wouldn't say it's a massive problem because I think companies and people within the companies understand that this needs to change and that's it. But I do worry that if we reach a certain point and it looks like 
we've kind of changed, then, you know, companies and people and consumers can think, oh, right, okay, we're good. We can stop here. I'm just worried because I'm quite an anxious person in general because we need to have that full transition. We need to keep on going. We can't stop. You know, we've got to, we've got to keep that momentum going. So I would just say that as well, yeah. Thank you. Um, following up on a few points that I think both of you have mentioned at some point, this term of building back better. And I guess it's thrown around quite a lot at the moment with the COVID-19 pandemic. So I'm wondering how you see the pandemic playing in as an opportunity versus a barrier to building back more sustainably in the next few years. The main opportunity I see is that obviously quite a lot of livelihoods have been impacted and there are people that may not have a job full-time or part-time as a result of it. So we've got a workforce that we need to we need to move to, to another set of roles. And so it actually feels like a really exciting moment where yeah. that focus could be shifted really heavily towards green jobs. I, I definitely, yeah, I would say we're at a seminal point and yeah. that we, we kind of reached this crossroads. And I think... Green business has come into the limelight a lot more. I don't know about anyone else out there, but my interaction with climate activism has gone through a couple of stages. And my first kind of interaction with eco-friendliness and that sort of thing was recycling. Do the recycling and it's fine. And now it's shifted more to buy responsibly and I've shifted to a plant-based diet um, and all these different things. So I think as we go on and on, the Overton window or you know what is considered acceptable will hopefully shift in the right direction. But um, I'm, I totally agree. I think we're an opportunity. And I think, I think the way humans in general, not just climate movement and business, I think humanity in general, very, very pretentious when we go like this, but um, we, we respond to loss and tragedy and destruction in very few set ways. And I think we can either maybe become more insular and more isolated and just say, oh, quickly, let's build the economy back as fast as we can, do this, all hands on deck, who cares about the environment? But what happens often when humanity and people and society faces this great loss and destruction, because uh, you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who hasn't lost a job or a loved one. Mm. I think when society takes that hit, often we come together and we understand the importance because I'm not underplaying the pandemic. It is a massive, horrific problem. But we have another ensuing crisis on the horizon. Yeah. And we're going to have to get used to people losing their lives and businesses and all that stuff if we don't act. Yeah, I think that's bang on. Thank you so much. Yeah, those were wonderful answers. Mm. Um, my final question to James is, what are the most important factors that you would consider when choosing a place to work? And to what extent would you take ethical and sustainable factors into account? Me personally, I try and live as ethically and sustainable as possible. But it comes back to this idea of sustainability and of restructuring and reshifting our economy. And I think the main problem is we got asked yesterday how important is sustainability and being ethical when you fa how big is that when you fit factor into whether or not you're going to get a job. And I think the problem is young people are finding it harder and harder to get a job. Mm. We are the first generation, even before the pandemic, we're the first generation who are going to be worse off than our parents in a very, very long time. 
So I think what we've got to try and do is at, at the same time as we're lifting up these green jobs and this kind of economic and environmental revolution, we also have to bring up young people and minorities and people who've been downtrodden and has been forgotten by society because not to, you know, ruffle any feathers, but the people in charge thinking about these things quite often are older white men quite often. I'm not saying everyone is, but I'm saying that is how a lot of things come about. So I think, yes, environmentalism, sustainability and uh, being ethical when choosing a job and even a product is very, very important. But I think also having a job is important mm -hmm. because once you gain that income, you can then use it sustainably. And I think this idea of the consumer, the, the burden being on the consumer is an idea which actually um, has been propagated by big companies. The idea of a carbon footprint was first introduced by BP because if we're focusing on ourselves and being critical of ourselves, and quite often I find myself getting really annoyed at myself because I did this or that, the other thing. But if I walk into a supermarket and I want to buy something for my plant-based diet, it's all wrapped in cling foam most of the time, you know? It's, yes, the consumer has a job there. And yes, as young people, it's our job to choose jobs which are sustainable and ethical. But it is also the companies and the people in charge's job to offer sustainable and ethical jobs. It, they shouldn't really, I shouldn't have to make a choice between making a good salary and, you know, being sustainable and ethical. That, that is, that's what I'm saying. The burden is shared, but I think it should be on the people who are contributing 70% of the UK's carbon emissions, which is the companies. I think I think you've hit some really great points with that, James. I think to support mm. it, and it, I, I did mention this, if you don't have that luxury of mm -hmm. choosing to work for what you'd find your idyllic company, then I'd encourage everybody to be the change they want to see in whatever mm. company they manage, thankfully, to get a job for. Um, and that is open to everybody. Change can come from the ground up. It can come from within any of these organisations, as long as enough of us believe that and push that. Mm. Um, Definitely. I think also there's this really weird social phenom phenomenon where we know that as consumers, we have collective power, which is massive, you know? If everyone suddenly decided, no, we're not doing this, we want it to be more sustainable, companies have no choice but to change, you know? But the weird thing is, it's almost like everyone has to press a button at the same time, but you can't see anyone else doing it, you know? It's, you can talk to your friends, but the, the amount of people who have to change their consumer habits is enough that you're not sure if everyone else is doing it and often uh, young people especially can feel so disheartened because it feels like nothing is changing even though it is it's just I go into supermarkets and I buy these things and I'm like is it really changing is me not eating meat is that really affecting anything because on a one-to-one -one basis me not eating meat for the rest of my life isn't really going to shift anything. But it, we are the young people, 2 billion people on the planet. That's the largest generation ever. And if enough of those people, 5% of those people shifted to a plant-based diet, I'm not saying everyone should, I'm not one of those vegetarians, uh, but if enough people changed, it would be massive. But it, the problem is you don't know, really. You're not sure. But it is, it is happening. I mean, in the UK, by far the fastest growing sector of the food and drinks market is plant-based, but like mm. by miles. It's absolutely yes. flying. And every, you know, out of talking about this green, uh, green recovery, you know, 
that is where there's going to be jobs without a doubt. And it's obviously the sector that's continued throughout the pandemic. Some food and drinks brands have been impacted, obviously, but um, we've all had to eat and drink. So, a yeah. lot, you know, a lot's kind of been able to keep growing. And mm. yet yeah, by far, it's something like 17% growth um, in that sector alone, whereas, it's, mm. you know, it's static in a lot of others. Um, and it's, you know, every year it's, in fact, it's more than 17%. I know that for a fact, um, mm. but it, it just, it's flying. So I think that's it. It's, it's hard to know if your individual action makes a difference. We've got mm -hmm. to get to a place where everybody genuinely believes that it, that it, that it does because it does. Yeah. I, yeah. I totally agree with that. It's a weird situation we're in. It's a weird, weird world. Thank you so much to both of you. That was a really fantastic um, discussion on responsibility where does the responsibility lie and especially the discrepancies between responsibility lying with consumers versus companies and I think there's some really interesting extrapolations to be made on what responsibility we have as living in a wealthy politically stable country to help other countries that aren't as fortunate enough um, mm. to build build up more sustainably so thank you both Louise and James for taking part in today's podcast for anyone listening to this podcast you can find out more about the climate futures youth perspectives project on our website cumberlandlodge.ac.uk Keep an eye on the Read, Watch, Listen page for blog posts written by my fellow Cumberland Lodge scholars and other podcasts where we'll hear from more speakers and participants getting involved. Later this year, Cumberland Lodge will publish a final report, which will sum up the key takeaways and reflections from this conference ahead of COP26. I hope this will be of interest to you too. Thank you once more to my guests and thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.